Well, another very good morning to everyone. Great to see you. Now, it is your, a bit of your choice this morning. If you have a Bible to hand, we're going to be using them. If you don't have one, that's no problem. I've got, I, you can listen to my voice reading it out. Um, I was going to, I was thinking of an introduction this morning to what I want to speak on. And a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, for our anniversary, romantically took our two adult children with us as well to the Dominion Theatre up in London. And we saw Prince of Egypt, which is a new musical-ish that has come out. And my family absolutely adore musicals. So I thought we'd see this and see what it was about. And it was excellent. If you are into that kind of thing, even if you're not into that kind of thing, I think you'll really enjoy it. And I think the tickets have gone down a 15-pounder ticket. So that's pretty cool. Dominion Theatre is actually where a church meets on a Sunday called Hillsongs. They meet there on a Sunday. They have several services uh, packed out on the Sunday there. And it was a fascinating musical. Very little was mentioned about God in it. But the essential story that hopefully many of you will know is how Moses is rescued as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter, brought up as to be a prince of Egypt, rejects that after murdering um, an Egyptian, and goes into the desert, works as a shepherd, and then at 80 years old, which he didn't really cover in the theater, that there was a 40-year gap, and he didn't look like he was a 20-year-old Moses, but you know, I guess you've got to dance around and sing. So, um, And then he leads the people out of slavery after a number of plagues hit Egypt that God is controlling. They come out, um, out of Egypt through the Red Sea, now, this is the bit I'm going to show you, well, listen to. As they come out of the Red Sea, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, has written, uh, writes a song with Moses, it appears in Scripture. And they very cleverly do it in Hebrew. There's several bits in Hebrew throughout the original, in the, was it a Disney movie? And then in, in the theater production that is in Hebrew. And I just wanted to show you one of the last songs. So this is after they come through the Red Sea, Enemies are defeated, and, and then they, they sing this song in the theater. So let me just play a segment of this song, about a minute. Wonderful, thank you. Um, I spent a couple of days trying to learn the Hebrew there. It's right, really, really difficult, to say the least. So we won't be doing that this morning. Um, now, what then happens after the story where the song, they reach the Red Sea, is they are then brought into the desert. And eventually Moses, 
he teaches them what God is like. And he teaches them the Ten Commandments that many of you will know and another 603 laws of this is how your God wants you to live. But amongst that um, is this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would like to turn to it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the Bible, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in your Bible. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very, very famous passage. The Jews call this passage the Shema. Everyone say the Shema. You may have never heard of that word before, but it's one of the most profound words in Judaism. The reason it's profound is because they say this prayer twice every single day, and Jesus also quotes the Shema, which is this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through to 9, it says this. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. So the Jews learn the Shemos, a very basic prayer. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. They say that twice a day. It is the equivalent of what we said earlier as a congregation, our Father in heaven. We had a visitor last week. He said it absolutely spot on. When I grew up in school, we learned that prayer in the school assembly. Didn't go to a Christian school, but they said it in every school. Who grew up in a school which taught the Lord's Prayer? Right, most of you. They no longer teach that in schools. I'll come back to that a bit later. So we've been doing it as a church from time to time, so people know that this prayer. We've been teaching our kids this, so that they have it memorized. It's a very, very important prayer. And the Shema, what I've just read out, is both a pledge and it's a praise to God. It's a sort of a declaration. It's, it's those that will hear that when you meet God, when you encounter him, It says, you will love him with all of your being. And this passage is not about legalism, just to sort of recite something over and over again. It's saying to people, you will absorb God's teaching and his guidance. That listening and love will be tightly connected. I guess we talked a lot about church, how in the West, everything is separated, isn't it? People go to a church building and they say, I am going to church. They say, that's when I'm a Christian, when I go to a building. But in Judaism, you'll notice it in the passage there, this isn't about a meeting. This is about how you live all of your life. It's about saying, God isn't somewhere I go to visit on a, in a morning, somehow God is magically here or something. It's like, Like God is with you all the time. And it's like, how do you live your life in such a way that your entire family are living with God in mind? 
And so the connection here is about you'll love God and you'll love him with everything you have. And then it, what will happen is you will tell your children about him. And you won't just make it an awkward conversation you have once in a while. It's like you'll talk about it over the dinner table. You will talk about it before you go to sleep. You will pray with your kids. You will teach them Bible stories. You will be driving in the car and saying, look at God's creation. And there is this sort of um, joining of the spiritual with everything natural. It means it's not weird to talk about God. It's like it is normalized. You'll know Jesus, um, some of you will know that Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he quotes the Shema. He says, the most important commandment is to love God with everything. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the second most important commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. To say that the two are really joined. You'll love God with everything. And then what you will naturally do is you'll love everyone around you. So it's interesting, isn't it? So we pass it on to children, and we've asked this several times, I won't ask it again, but you know, most people in churches, weirdly enough, not particularly our church, but most churches, people have grown up in a Christian family where they are taught about Jesus. And the critical part for most is, did what I see on a Sunday match with what I saw on a Monday? Did my parents, were they different at home as they were in a church service? That is so fundamental because what we'd be, Moses is teaching people is like, you will just live for God throughout all of your life. Every part of your life will be saturated with it. And if you ever meet an Orthodox Jew, which I'm sure many of you have seen them around, you'll notice if you were to look closely, their bodies are full, their wrists, their hair, their garments are all full with scriptures. If you were to go into a Jewish house, which is quite rare because often they don't allow non-Jews into their house. If you go to a Jewish house, you'll see things on the doorposts and things, um, verses on the wall. Everything is to say, this is who we worship. This is what we're about. And we pass it on to our children. It's not saying that, you know, what they're doing in the back room, well, that's the Sunday school, that's the God part. It's to say to parents, like, this is how we are to live our lives. Every part has God involved in it. And you know, invariably, um, I want to let you into two secrets this morning that I've discovered as a pastor. Is that okay with you? I want to teach you two things about human beings that maybe you know, but maybe you don't know everyone else knows as well. But I want to teach you a couple of things I, we discovered pastoring a church. One is, people feel unworthy. When they come to, maybe, maybe even to come to a church, they're like, I don't feel worthy to be here. They look around at you. They'll see you singing and think, man, these guys are so holy. I don't fit in here. I'm awkward and I, I'm a, you know, they'll see themselves as the sinner. I did this bad thing last night. I don't deserve to be here. Well, let me give you some good news this morning. Jesus wants you here. Not only that, We'll cast our eyes over Scripture for a moment just to see how much of the Bible really is aimed at people like me and you. Moses, the murderer, wrote the Shema. Moses, the guy who was, he grows up as his prince, he murders, he then is trying to cover it up. 
He's struggling with all of these feelings, frustrations of, of not being brave enough when God calls him to do these things. This isn't a perfect man. It's a, pers- it's a person just like you and me. The second most mentioned person in the Bible is a guy called David. Next to Jesus, after Jesus, it's David, right? Most mentioned person in the Bible. And David, we look at him and think, wow, he's penned all these psalms. He was used mightily by God to do these wonderful things. Well, David, the murderer again, David, the adulterer, David, the person who was full of pride. I mean, many of us will feel like, wow, God used like really ordinary, broken people who messed up to do things. Fast forward to the New Testament. Paul, who writes 13 of these books in the New Testament. We think, wow, what a saint he must have been, Paul, this guy. And it's like, wait a minute, this guy killed Christians. He arrested them. He was full of pride. He felt so bloated about himself, felt like I'm so amazing. And he hated Christians. He made sure that they were imprisoned, arrested, made sure that they were killed. And God said, I'm going to have that one into my kingdom too. There's only one person in the whole Bible who's perfect, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that's worthy. And the great news about the gospel, you see Moses. Moses means deliverer or brought out of the water. But Moses was the shadow of the coming Jesus, who is the great deliverer. Is this making sense so far? Wonderful, because I'm going to hopefully tie this all together. So as Ian and Hannah, they find themselves as parents They will not be the perfect parents. Shock horror. And their children will not be the perfect children. Shock horror. And they will have have to say to their children, I'm sorry I've messed up. Their children have to learn to say to their parents, I'm sorry that I've messed up. It's in the same way God knows all your faults and failures before you even tell him. But you see, this is how God sees us, which is why family is such a beautiful picture of what God is like. God is a father that we continually let down, but he still loves us. It is almost impossible to imagine, isn't it, within Hannah, their three kids, and imagine Harriet, picking one at random, messes up and lies to them. And imagine in Hannah saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with you. You're no longer my kid. Go and fend for yourself on the street. You don't deserve my love. That is inconceivable, isn't it? Can we see how God, who is the perfect father, who loves us more than we could possibly imagine, who loves us so much he sent his only son to die for you, that's how much he loves you. And we're the thing, we're not worthy. I've messed up and surely I don't deserve to be in a place like this. And God's like, I love you. I want you. I'm your father. So we're invited in this passage, you see, to connect with the father. What we do with the Lord's prayer is our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We put all the focus on him and then we're like, forgive us our sins and give us our daily bread. And you don't lead us into temptation. All of those things are requests, but you see, it starts with God and his kingdom, and it ends, that prayer ends with God and his kingdom, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And I want to share one thing about people that has really come to the fore in my mind in the last three years. So three years ago, um, many of you will know, my family and I, we had a house fire. And the following morning, after, uh, you know, 
whole house is essentially wrecked. I wake up and I say to God, God, because um, I'd rung up insurance and they'd said, they said we weren't, weren't um, covered, which was interesting, isn't it? You're like, oh, I don't have anything in the bank either. I don't, we don't save particularly. And um, so I didn't have anything in the bank. And I was like, well, God, I just thank you that you take care of us and I know you'll provide and all these sorts of things. And uh, I said, I just thank you that you're taking care of us, right? And I'm thinking, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting. But I, and then what happened was people started calling Joe and I, calling me particularly, and saying, can we give you some money? And I was like, Lord, isn't there another way you can provide? Can't you just sort of drop the money somehow? I mean, people giving, people receiving from people is really hard, right? And I was like, oh. And I felt God say, you are going to have to learn to receive from people as if it's from me. And I was like, okay, fine. So we received it. And lots of people, incredibly generous, gave it. It's like you're having to sort of swallow your own pride to sort of receive it and things. And, um, and then what we did, actually, people were trying to give money through us, so other external people trying to give through us to, to help and to save anyone in need. And so we thought, wow, we've been blessed by all this. Let's, let's see if we can help other people. And we knew a couple of other people that sort of had their own issues, not in the church. And so we tried to give money to them, and they couldn't receive it. They said, no, 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 we can't possibly accept money. And I was like, but I, I think you guys need it. And they're like, no, 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 no we'll work it out. We, you know, we, sort of, we can't possibly take any money. It's far too embarrassing. And we found that experience a number of times. And it really hit me. People would rather give than receive. Isn't that weird? If I said to you, for example, I've got a thousand pounds for someone who needs it this morning, it's interesting. A lot of people think, oh, I'm happy to give to that cause. This People need it, family need it. But if I said, Are you, would you be happy to receive this? Oh, no, no, no. I'm fine. I don't need anyone's help. People are happy earning that money. They're happy winning that money in the lottery. They're happy finding it randomly in the street and maybe taking it for themselves. But if someone said, I want to give you this money because I think you need it, they're like, oh, no, 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 I don't need, I don't need any handout. I don't need any help. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I think that's one of the great big barriers with God, isn't it? Because the problem, the problem with the gospel is it's a gift. And it really hit me, man. Here's one of the great big barriers for the, for the gospel. You're like, what can I do for God? What can I give him? Like, that is one level. But then to say, Lord, I just want to receive what you have for me. Whoa, people are like, whoa, I don't know about that. I don't know if I need anything from him. I don't know if I need any help. And the gospel is that Jesus came and took your place on the cross. And he bought your life with his blood. And he became your substitute. And he died the death that you and I deserve. He was dead and he was buried. And then he rose again and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you see, the gift of eternal life is free because it's saying, Lord, I receive what you did on the cross was my death. And the Holy Spirit, you have to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. And I can see the problem from many people are like, oh, I don't know about that. I, I'm happy to do something to get earn this thing, but I don't want to just receive it. I don't receive a free gift because it acknowledges that you need something. And people in our culture, we don't like to show what we need. We're happy to give, but we don't want to show our needs because that means we're vulnerable. I'm going to circle right back 
to, to Moses just to end this, to make this really clear. With, with the sheen of what it says is that the Lord, um, the Lord is God, the Lord your God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And God, as we know, is invisible, so we can't see him. But we know him through his son. When we meet Jesus, we meet the Father. And this morning, maybe you have come. You're in that position where you're thinking, I don't know God is real. I don't know about all this gospel stuff. These songs that we're singing, they sound kind of nice, but how do I know any of this means anything for me? And to a large extent, that comes from a place to say, maybe you grew up in a Christian house that didn't make sense. You saw, you saw things that confused you. You thought, well, I've been through these bad experiences. Maybe God doesn't make sense with any of that. And I think the, one of the great sort of echoes of the gospel story is that Jesus not only saw our suffering, but he entered into our suffering and then he suffered in our place. God knows what suffering is. And then he invites us to join his family. You know, the only right in the Bible that I've ever read for Christians is we have the right to be called children of God. And it is a right you have to receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Shema, for the prayer. Thank you that these prayers, they embed in us what is actually true. I think of... Um, um, maybe many of you won't heard of him, the jellyfish man, the guy, he was, he, was, uh, he was killed by a jellyfish. And as he was dying, he said the Lord's Prayer because he, he, he would regard himself as a, he didn't know God, he hated God. And, and, but he prayed the, this prayer because he learned it as a young child. And he said this as he was dying because he'd, he'd remember his mum teaching it. But actually, he was miraculously saved for after being dead for something like 20 minutes. But it reminds us, you know, one of the reasons we say these things on repeat to get it into us, what is actually true. That when the conflict comes and the differences of opinion comes and we're confused by things, we're able to stand on what we do know. Because we have a Father in heaven. And hallowed be his name. And his kingdom will come. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those moments were like, yeah, but I've got all these worries, our concerns. And it's like, Lord, give us today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not next week, but give us today our daily bread. And then we feel unworthy. Oh, I shouldn't be praying. Well, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Lord, I just... Um, I just want to make space for people to receive something. Maybe they've always felt like, I don't know how to receive that. I don't know if I need anything. And maybe as we're just talking, there is that awareness of, we need you. Ian and Hannah are going to need you as parents. These kids are going to need you in order to be kids. Everyone in this room need something bigger than themselves. And Jesus, you are that answer.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Wonderful. Um, we're just going to sing one more song together.